Hello, and welcome to the Backcheck the Hockey History podcast, where we evaluate players' cases for the Hall of Fame. My name is Riley. I'm with Bill. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. And this week, we have a the 2003 Hall of Fame class, which is just two players. Uh, Pat LaFontaine, considered by some to be the greatest American hockey player of all time, and Grant Fuhrer. And we're going to start today with Pat LaFontaine, um, who played from 83 to 98, so 15 seasons. Only 11 of those were quality uh, by our calculations, and that is, of course, because he was hurt all the time, especially from about 1991 onwards. The first part of his career was much healthier than the second part of his career. Um, He scored uh, 468 goals. He had over 500 assists, he had 1,000 points, and that was all in only 856 games, but he's a minus six. Uh, He also put up 93-point shares. Uh, He is the third American all-time in goals per game, uh, behind, um, I was, uh, I'm pretty sure I used Quant Hockey, so they probably include Brett Hull, so Brett Hull would be first, and then I guess would be like Kachuk or somebody, but um, (laughs) maybe not Kachuk. Um, and then he's 15th all-time in points per game, and he's the first American. So that is the big claim here, right? Is like he's he's the first American in uh, points per game, and despite his injuries. So I think the re- the real like uh, the reason why so many people have claimed he's the best uh, American hockey player is probably based in part on that. Um, and 15th all-time overall is pretty damn impressive. But he yeah. also played in the 80s. <laughs> So, as usual, we like to talk about the draft, and his draft was 1983, and he was drafted third overall, um, and he is one of the basically two best players, uh, depending on how you uh, like to slice it, or three, or because there was a bunch of injured players, but he's second in goals, though he is over 200 behind Steve Eisenman. <laughs> because Steve of Y also played forever, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's 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 second in assists and he's 500 assists behind Steve Eiserman. And he's second in points and he's 700 points behind Steve Eiserman. And again, as Bill said, it's because Eiserman played almost twice as many games as Pat LaFontaine did. So that yeah. explains at least a little bit why uh, his numbers are better. And I'm sure his per, LaFontaine's per game numbers are better, but Hockey Reference doesn't let us see that in the... Um, in the uh, in the draft breakdown, um, so uh, if you go by point shares, though he is only fourth, and that's because both Hashik and Barasso are in this draft. And as we've talked about many times with point shares, goalies get a lot of them, and so it's Eiserman, Hashik, Barasso, Lafontaine in terms of point shares, and then uh, right behind Pat Lafontaine is Gary Galley, uh, but Gary Galley played 300 more games than Lafontaine did, so. Um, even though they're, if you look at their point shares, it looks like they had comparable careers. They really didn't. It's just, you know, LaFontaine was hurt all the time. But it's a, it's a great draft. I mean, uh, behind Galley, it's there's Tockett, John McClain, uh, Darren Pupa, Cam Neely, who we talked about recently, uh, Bob Asenza, Claude Lemieux, Dave Gagne, Kevin Stevens, uh, Russ Cardinal, Uwe Krupp, uh, Stikinen, Dan Quinn, Peter Klima, Fedosov, who we're going to talk about in a couple episodes. Peter Zezel, like it's Sylvain yeah, Sil- Sil- Turgeon, yeah, Makarov, yeah, 
it's just a really really deep draft but there's a lot of also like a lot of injured players like the games if you switch the game playlist around it's a, a very different story <laughs> you know it's like it's Eisenman, Lemieux, McLean, Bergevin, Galley, Tockett, Lowry, Cortnall are the only thousand game players but like it, there's lots of names that yeah. certainly I recognize and I think you do too absolutely um I don't think either of us is going to make any kind of claim that LaFontaine was the best forward in that draft, though. Uh. No. <laughs> well, when you have Stevie Y in there. But, yeah. you know, if, if you get past Stevie Y, then he's, I, I don't know, him and Neely, that's going to be, that's an interesting debate. Yeah, yeah. Very different players, for one thing. Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, era-wise, um, LaFontaine, of course, didn't play a lot of games. He didn't even make it to 900. And so there were a ton of players to play in at least 820 games between 83 and 98. There's 97 of them, in fact. And in that era, LaFontaine is eighth in goals, but he's second in goals per game. And that this is the highest scoring, mostly this is the highest scoring era in league history. I mean, LaFontaine only has uh, has a couple years at the end in the dead puck era, but for the most part. So he's like, he's second goals per game, per game in that span behind Gretzky, which is pretty impressive. Wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah. He's 23rd in assists total, but 16th in assists per game, 15th in points, but 7th in points per game. And again, you got I don't, I didn't write them down, but you got to assume everybody ahead of him there is probably in the hall of fame um, or close to it. And like, we're talking about like the era when every one points were like, you know, everyone was scoring. So presumably the people ahead of him are, we're talking about Gretzky, Lemieux. Um, I don't, I don't know who else, maybe Curry, uh, Stasny. I don't even know if Stasny would fit um, yeah. in that or Howard Chuck, people like that. Um, yeah. Denny Savard, but again, like it because it shifted 83 to 98, I'm not 100% sure if some of those guys would be in that. But I, I didn't write down. Um, he is, of course, because he's a minus, he's 66 at a 97 and plus minus. Not quite as bad as I thought it would be. Um, and he's only ninth in point shares, and that has a lot to do with how many... Um, or sorry, ninth in offensive point shares and 19th in point shares. And that has a lot to do with the fact that he just didn't play. He was hurt a lot, right? Point shares are cumulative. He has a fantastic 82-game average of 96 points and 44 goals, but he's, of course, a minus one. And and here's where things get really silly. We looked at his three-year peak from 90 to 93 as an 82-game average of 54 goals for a, and 124 points plus six. Wow. Which is, is good. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> his, his playoff stats are not... Super impressive because, of course, he played for some shitty teams. Uh, he played for the yeah. Islanders uh, at when the very good. tail end of their d- dynasty and then when they weren't good. And then he played for the Sabres and was part of getting the Sabres um, better. But, of course, uh, he wasn't around by the time the Sabres were, re- were good enough to make it to the finals. Um, so uh, he only has 63 points, but those are in 69 games. So he's a little bit less than a point per game in the playoffs, but that's very typical for that era that to have really high regular season points per game and then to not actually be a point per game player in the playoffs is fairly common. Um, but he's a minus 13 in only 69 games, which is uh, yikes. Um, though half of that is from a minus six in 1986-87 when the Islanders actually went um where did they go do they went to the conference finals no they didn't they went to the uh they they played like two seven game series and he's a minus six in that and so that's half of his minus in one season 
Um, the thing that really hurts him, of course, is uh, adjusting for error. Um, when you do the uh, when you do the adjustment true uh, hockey reference, uh, it hurts him a lot. I appear to have forgotten to calculate his 82 game average, um, but it drops off uh, something like a thousand point, or sorry, a thousand, a hundred points um, from his totals for the error adjustment. So that would um, that would knock him down like at least 10 points um, per 82 games. So that would, I mean, he'd probably still be a an uh, point per game player. Uh, if people can bear with me, I can calculate it. <laughs> I usually write this stuff down. Um, but let me just yeah, give me one moment and I'll try to figure it out. Um, it's uh, it's yeah, he's he's still he's still a point per game player, um, but but way less so than he was without the adjustment. So the, so he's, he's still you know. He's still definitely a Hall of Famer, but it's just it, it hurts him a bit. And um, he doesn't really look that much better with the. Uh, in fact, he looks a little bit worse with the versus X adjustment. He, he's even less. Uh, he's actually not a point per game player with the versus X adjustment. So uh, it's good to keep that in mind when we're talking about um, players who played in this era. Um, now we have uh, two trades to talk about, but only one of them is big. And it was probably one of the biggest trades of its era, I would think. And that is um, that at 26, he was traded with Randy Hiller. Um, is that right? Sorry, I have two Randys in the same trade, and I'm just going to confirm. Yeah, yeah. Randy Hiller and Randy Wood and a fourth-round pick that became Dean Melanson for Pierre Turgeon, who was uh, four years younger. Um, Uwe Krupp and Benoit Hogue and, uh, sorry, Dave uh, McLean, probably? <laughs> it's, it's, it's Welsh, I think. Um, or no, I guess it could be Scottish. It's Scottish because it's a Mick. But anyway, uh, I don't actually know him. I don't remember the name. Anyway, so that was a massive trade, right? A whole bunch of guys and two yeah. stars, one of whom was older and one of whom was younger, I think, the verdict of history is probably very firmly on the Sabres side at this point, but what do you think, Bill? Yeah, I'm, I, I've got to give it to the, uh, the Sabres win that one, I'd say, um, especially cause LaFontaine did so much damage when he first got to, uh, to the Buffalo. Yeah. Like, I mean, he, that, that, that duo with him and McGillney that year, was just off the charts. Crazy. Like, yeah. The only, just to be devil's advocate, the only thing I'd say is if Turgeon doesn't get hurt in nineteen ninety in those playoffs, yeah, and the Islanders do better, which is a big assumption on my part, but you never it know. It is, but they did lose their best player. Yeah, uh, you know, and they still went pretty deep in those playoffs. I think I don't know. It's hard to say with with uh, with Turgeon in the lineup. Would they would they have been able to beat those Habs? I don't know. Um, yeah, probably not. But, well, the, that Montreal team is just really deep. So unless yeah. Turgeon was unstoppable, I think they probably still. But but the thing is, Montreal that year that they won, all those games are close. It's not like they were blowing people out of the water. Like, yeah, it's rare rare that they won. You know, I mean, they won ten overtime games, so the, the games are yeah. close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I have no idea. Um, it's just something. It's just fun to think about because, like, of course, you know, Turgeon now is a bit of a. I mean, we talked about, we have an episode where we talk about him, but like just his reputation has really suffered over the years. And 
It's just, I think, I think had he not gotten hurt and the Islanders had maybe, if the Islanders had advanced, there's two big ifs. If he had not gotten hurt and the Islanders had advanced further, I think he would have a very different reputation. Um, I think so too. But there's no way of knowing if that would have happened had he not been hurt, especially given how well Wall was playing uh, that season. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think, I think the, uh, I think despite the fact that the, the Islanders got the younger player, Pat LaFontaine was the better one. And, uh, and aside from Pat LaFontaine's injuries, the Sabres really, you know, I mean, the, the, the big problem with him on the Sabres is that he, he missed an absolute ton of games. I mean, he only played 268 games for them in the course of six years. You know, that's, what is that? Uh, he should have been playing what 480, right? Yeah. Or 490, um, depending on how many games a season. And he played 268. So you know that uh, that just goes to show you that had he been healthy, who who the hell knows? Um, and it certainly feels like they sh- they 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 won that even with him being not healthy. Um, for his accomplishments, uh, he was a top five. Uh, in heart voting twice, um, obviously in in the year that he scored 147 points or 148, my apologies, but also weirdly in 1990 um, when he scored 105 points for the Islanders, um, and that was a I was surprised about that um, because the Islanders were not good. Uh, he uh, Hockey Reference uh, doesn't have him as a particularly dominant player, uh, just he was a top five player in PS only in that in point shares only in that 93 season and he was a top five offensive player only twice in 92 and 93 um but uh you know he obviously a lot of this has to do with him missing games and having his sort of like he peaked a little bit later offensively you know than some um you know in his in the average forward tends to peak in their early 20s in terms of like average over the course of all NHL player forwards throughout history the yeah. players tend to peak in their early 20s, and he peaked in his late 20s and early 30s, really his late 20s. And so, um, and but that's also when he was hurt. <laughs> so, um, you know, he doesn't have a lot of. Uh, uh, there's only a few things we can say he really did um, exceptionally, which is like he had 45 goals five times, one of only 18 players. He had 40 goals seven times, one of only 17 players. 35 goals eight times, which is a fair amount, one of only 22 players. He had 90 assists once, which he's only one of uh, the 11 players ever. I could probably name them off the top of my head due to playing too many uh, too many hockey trivia games on Sporkle. Um, and he's one of only nine players to have 140 points ever. And, of course, he did that in the season where a couple people did it um, because 93 was insane. Yeah, well, that that was the year that uh, that he was leading the uh, he was leading the league in points when the Mute got uh, had to take time off for his cancer treatments, and then Lemieux came back and won the scoring title anyway because yeah. Mario Lemieux. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he only made one second team all uh, one end of season second team All Star. Um, he never made a first. Um, and he was in the All Star game five times. Uh, his the versus X adjustment of his peak um, points uh, if on on goal says he's the 61st he had the 61st best peak ever um, but assists and points is a lot less kind and then lastly we have his great teams and he was not on any really he he uh, he was on a uh, Islanders team that went to the finals when he was really young but he was already he was a 
only a top six forward at best, and he also missed a few games, so it's really hard to figure out what his role was. Um, that was the team that lost to the Oilers in 84. And then because he's American, his international accomplishments are very sparse. He was on the uh, World Cup team in 96 and a runner-up team in 91, but that's it. Yeah. Because the Americans were not any good internationally prior to 96, really. Um, I mean, I certainly have no doubts about him being in whatever... I, I... Yeah, I, I, I find him very, I find he's very underrated. Um, it, like, you, you know, you're naming some of those stats, and especially the one that jumped out was he only made a second team all-star once at the end of the season. It's like, yeah, he played his whole career when two guys named Gretzky and Lemieux played the same position as him. Like, he had well, no and, chance. And, the, and then you had Eiserman <laughs> as well, Yeah, right? exactly. But, um, and, and Messier, like, you had, you had guys who were, yeah, I mean, he had it's, like the two generational talents for his yeah. the entire time he played. <laughs> so he basically the fact that he got, the fact that he got a second team All Star says something else. Like, wow, he must have had a great year. <laughs> Spoiler alert: We're going to talk about someone next episode who has two first team All Stars who absolutely didn't deserve it, but he got them because he was a left wing. <laughs> yeah, the well, the, the old uh, the old problem with the with the left wings, right? They're always historically much lower scoring than yeah, any yeah. other forward. It's, which is I don't I don't know why it's so weird. But but the <laughs> thing about it is we we may not know why we may not have a good theory as to why it happens, but we know it does happen. So one of the things it's worth considering as we are talking about right now is when you're a center or a right wing and you don't make those end of season teams, um, you know there's a there may be a better reason than for left yeah. wings, right? Because the depth is so much stronger for center and right wing. Um, and that actually. Just just a brief side note, uh, the NBA actually felt it necessary to go to three end-of-season teams, despite having roughly the same number of uh, teams in the league. Yeah. And the reason being is because there were good players, like really good players, not making it to second team. And yeah. people and the union was upset about it because one, something that's happened in the NBA that I don't think has quite happened in the NHL is uh, performance bonuses were tied to them. Uh-huh. And, and so... <laughs> People get. They would say like, if you make first or second team, you get another million bucks or whatever, oh, and man. and players wouldn't make it, and they would they would they actually get mad at the, pre, the like the people who publish their ballots. They get mad at the journalists who publish their ballots. But also, it's um, you know, it, it was they had to create a third team in order to sort of solve it. And when you think about it, it's not as much as some people go oh, watering down blah blah blah. They had they had first and second teams when there were six teams in the NHL. Yeah. You know so. The value of when you made a second team in the original six, that's a lot less impressive than making a second team now, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, it, I mean, anyway, it's just it's worth thinking about having a third team, maybe when you have 30 teams in the league. But that's another story. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I saw LaFontaine at the very end of his career. And he was hurt all the time, and I I vaguely remember him on the Rangers. Oh man, uh, I remember that at all. <laughs> I must have blocked that out of my brain. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I remember him on the Rangers, but I do. Um, I remember watching on the Rangers one game, and I don't know why. Must have been playing the Leafs because that's all I watched at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have some vivid memory of him in a Rangers uniform for some reason. That's when I think of Pat Lafontaine. I think of him in a Rangers uniform. It's very weird. It's probably um, like you and one like one Rangers fan who's like yeah. had 
bought the LaFontaine jersey the minute he got traded there or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so, yeah. No, I, I always remember. I always remember him as well. I remember the the OT goal from the like the one of the longest yeah. overtime games ever. Yeah. Um, and I and I remember him in Buffalo playing with McGillney and just absolutely shredding the league, like <laughs> just looking yeah. unstoppable every night. But yeah, I, I have no like no qualms with him being in. I don't know if he's the greatest American player ever. I have no idea. Um, I think there are, you know, there are other candidates, but like, I'm fine with people making that claim, at least based on, you know, because at least scoring wise, even when you adjust for era, you're still a point per game player, at least according to the hockey reference adjustment. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I mean, to, to, to me, he's the, he's the best American that I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, like he, he, he was, he was, uh, he would make some plays that like would just sort of make your like make your eyes pop open, just like wow, there's not a lot of guys in the world who can make that play right there. Like yeah, yeah. if you just if, if you go back and watch that uh, that Mayday May goal, that pass that he makes is like world class. Like he's getting yeah. tripped as he falls, he connects on that pass to send him on a breakaway. It's it's amazing. Um, yeah. And nobody remembers that part of that goal. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. at the very beginning of the clip, but man, it's a great pass. Um yeah, um, and, uh, I I would put him. I don't know, like a lot of people, because uh, Joe Mullen was the first um, American to score 500 goals, would put him up there. Uh, I see a lot of people making an argument for Chelios. Uh, I would make, yeah, I would make an argument with Chelios. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to, to me, to me, at least in terms of like you know, like a forward, for sure, it's Lafontaine for me. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, there's some American players coming that are probably going to undo that eventually. Um, yep. Eventually, I, yeah, yeah. Eichel and Matthews and Kane probably by the time he retires. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, provided Matthews stays healthy, I understand yeah. that this is a I'm a Leafs fan and all that, but like his like Eden strength goal scoring is. Uh, He's ridiculous. Um, yeah. So I mean that that might. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, well, it's a long way away. I remember we was, was talking to my brother and he hadn't he hadn't really doesn't really watch as much hockey as he used to and he. He saw Matthews come in and wrist shot one one game, and he's just like, "That's really, it's kind of not fair. That's like most guys slap shots. <laughs> that is a hell of a wrist." I'm like, "I know, I know." <laughs> that was the, that was the year that we we met Vancouver magically managed to win three out of their last four games to not be dead last when we could have had Matthews. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I'm not well, sorry. It's, but it's like, okay. We would we would have found a way to screw something else. Yeah, up. you would have drafted somebody else. No, I don't think we would have, but still. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been, you would have drafted uh, Line A and then been insisting years later that it was the right decision. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, God. I could, I, there's something I could talk about with basketball that would really derail the podcast, so I'm not going to. <laughs> um, so, uh, up next, we have Grant Fuhrer, um, who, uh, I mean, the, one of the winningest goalies of all time. I, I'm uh, who played from '81 to 2000, and one of we only talked started talking about goalies recently, but we've talked about a bunch recently. Um, I uh, very much Fuhrer's prime was before I cared at all about hockey, and I, you know, briefly saw him on his Leafs tenure, but otherwise, this is not a guy I saw play much. Um, and I didn't actually know that much about him, his career, before I did this, um, beyond the fact that he was the Oilers starter for a long time and won a lot. 
Uh, and anyway, so this this is going to be interesting because I found out a bunch of really fascinating stuff for me. <laughs> anyway, I found it fascinating. Um, that makes this case really sort of confusing. So he played from 81 to 2000, 19 seasons. 11 of those were as a starter, four as a 1A, we could say, where he was maybe the starter, and then another four as a backup. Um, he has 400 over 400 wins, which is 12th all time. I'm sorry to say I forgot to check what his rankings were at his retirement. I had a note in there to say to do that, and I didn't. So sorry about that. Uh, we got to assume he was way up there, though, when he retired in uh, in 2000. He would have been way, way near the top, I think, right? Uh, because, I mean, Wah might have been ahead of him already, and Brodeur, I don't know if Brodeur would have been, because Brodeur was only like five seasons in the league at that point. So he would have been very close to being the all-time leader in wins, I think, when he retired. Um, I wish I had looked that up. Um, he's So he's t- currently 12th all-time in wins and 17th all-time in losses, which looks pretty good. You know, more wins than losses. Um, and 15th all-time in ties and other things. He only has 25 shutouts. He played uh, 868 games, and he has 25 shutouts, which yeah, is but interesting. No, no, nobody got shutouts. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that is that is very true. And this is it's very important to remember he played at a time when it was hard to be a goalie, or at least a chunk of his career when it was hard to be a goalie. Uh, he's 14th all-time in minutes. He's 11th all-time in games. He's the 22nd goalie all-time in point shares, goalie point shares. Uh, it's worth pointing out, if I had done this, his retirement, he might have actually, I, I think it's safe to assume he would have been way up there, along with, like, Plant and, I don't know, Sawchuk and Esposito among the le- the leaders in goalie point shares when he retired. Probably that would be my guess. Um, here's the first thing that is uh, a big um, red flag, <laughs> is that career... So Hockey Reference has something called goals saved above average, which is a calculation in which they use the information they have, save percentage, um, shots, you know, say total saves, goals, uh, all that stuff, to try to calculate how many more goals than the average goalie a goalie prevented. And Fuhrer's is minus 37. Wow. So that really doesn't sound good. And honestly, we talked about six goalies in, in a span of two episodes of a number of weeks ago. None of those guys were remotely minus, I don't think, in that stat. So it's just worth thinking in mind. He has a 8-7 uh, eight, eight, save percentage, but of course, as Bill pointed out, it was a, a time when people didn't really stop the puck very well. Um, and he has a 3.38 goals against average, which again, those both sound horrible, but when we adjust for error, we'll see that maybe they're less horrible. Um, he was drafted in 1981, and we are going to talk briefly about that draft. Uh, you will not be surprised that he, uh, at least by wins, is the best goalie in his draft. I mean, that's really shocking. Um, but Mike Vernon is also in the draft, and so is John Van Beesbrook. So he had oh some... Uh, yeah, it was a good goalie draft. Um, and Clint Archup, too. <laughs> um so wins he's first, but he's second in losses, uh, um, which is really good. John Van Beesbrook has like, I didn't realize Van Beesbrook's like record is almost 500. Like it's barely above 500. I didn't know that. Well, um, he, he, he played for um, played for a couple of like bad teams, and, and yeah. like when you were a backup back then too, like you lost a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, 
he is uh, second in ties and other things. Uh, he's third in save percentage, um, believe it or not, behind Vernon and Van Beesbrook, but they're all very close together. In fact, Vernon and Fuhrer are like 0. 0.002 points away from each other. Um, he's third in GAA, again, behind uh, Van Beesbrook and Vernon. Um, and that's always interesting to see, you know, uh, the two non-Hall of Famer goalies in his draft. Two of them are ahead of him in, in, in both of the big goalie stats, even though they are team stats. We know that. Uh, and he's fifth in point shares in the entire draft because this is the fabled 1981 draft. There are, you know, many Hall of Fame players in it. Uh, McInnes, Chelios, Francis, Howarchuk. Um so he's behind McKinnis, Chelios, Van Biesburg, and Francis in uh, point shares, but he is the second goalie. I I have no idea, I mean, of of how to rate Van Biesburg and Fuhrer and Vernon against each other, in part because I, to the extent I saw any of them, I saw them when they were old. So, I mean, I don't, you know, I have no idea on that regard. I know a, a bunch of people who would say Vernon was the best of those three, but I, I don't know that I want to like stake my, you know, very poor reputation on that. Um, I don't know if you feel any differently, Bill, but, uh, I know because of Vernon's cups, right? Like, yeah. Cups. Yeah. Different. I mean, Fuhrer has cups, but Fuhrer has cups behind a particular team. Yeah. And, but all of, like, you know, Vernon behind those 89 flames. I mean, although you got, if, the, the the night I became a Canucks fan, he stopped to break away in overtime in Game Seven. So I mean, he's he's pretty clutch. Like he was he was a hell of a goalie. He really was. Yeah. Um, but well, let's put it this way: I think if Vernon's the goalie for the Oilers, I don't think much changes. And I don't know, maybe for maybe for the '89 Flames, nothing much changes either. If they have Fuhrer instead of uh, instead of uh, Vernon, I don't know. Like they're they're yeah. both. You know, it's it, it's not like. It's not like one of these situations where you're like, if you take that guy and put him on that team, yeah. Like if you take, I don't know, I'll do a football comparison. So a lot of people, you know, Marino never won a Super Bowl, but he has all like the passing records. If you take him and put him on those 49ers teams instead of Joe Montana, like, yeah, they still win all those Super Bowls. I'm pretty sure yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not yeah. much would have changed, you know, <laughs> even though Montana obviously just is great, just better situation. Um, yeah, it's actually we we had we weren't sure whether to add a player. It actually now I didn't even think of Mike Vernon, but it would have been interesting to add Mike Vernon to this because we could have seen you know close up if they how comparable they were in terms of their various things. Because I don't know enough about his career to to make any kind of claims. You know, like yeah, I, 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 you know, a, 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 at times spectacular, but mostly rock solid goalie. Yeah. Um, and back in those days, two goalies weren't the behemoths that they are nowadays. So you had to be really athletic to play the position because you had to make those big like windmill saves and diving saves yeah. and stuff. And the game yeah. was so wide open that you were you were flailing around in the crease. So like some of this, like if you go back and look at some of the old saves that and the you know the trapping glove was a lot smaller, like they didn't have the big, yeah. big equipment. So like you had to be quick and athletic and agile, and so you could be a guy like. I think probably the last goalie who was really like that um, would have been my, uh, Mike Richter. Um, yeah. Sort of like not the biggest guy in the world, but super athletic and able to make a lot of saves that most guys can't because they're so, you know, agile and have great body control and that kind of stuff. And yeah. Vernon was yeah. very much in that mold. But then again, so was Fuhr. Um, yeah. In fact, if you go and watch a really, really silly old movie called Senseless with uh, David, David Spade and Marlon Wayans, um, at one point, the the main character he needs a sport because he's trying to pledge a frat, and he needs to he needs like a sport, but he's 
not he's not an athlete. And then he starts to take this super drug that gives him amazing senses. And so he goes to play goalie for the hockey team. And all the stuff, all the, and like I saw, like he's catching right. I'm like, that's really weird. He's catching right. And then I looked in the credits and all the, all the goaltending stunts were done by Grant Pierre. I'm like, oh, wow. Aha! <laughs> but, it's like, but again, all the saves are super acrobatic and amazing. And I'm like, oh, of course they had to get a guy like that. Nobody can do that stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Funny. Um, so we did an air comparison as we always do. And this is another one of these things where it starts, uh, looking, uh, a little, ugh. um, so 26 goalies played 410 games between 81 and 2000. Fear is second in wins. Good stuff. He's second in losses, which whatever he played a lot. He's first in ties and other things. Fine. He's 10th in shutouts. He's first in total goals against. He's first in total shots against. He's first in total saves. Okay, he played a lot. He's 21st in save percentage. 21st out of 26. And he's 18th in goals against average. Out of 26. Like, this is bad. He's also 21st in goal save above average. So by slightly, slightly more advanced stats, because save percentage and, and GAA are not really advanced stats, he's... One of the worst goalies of his era, um, which is something to think about, given that he's in the Hall of Fame and most of those other guys in those twenty on oh, the twenty six are not. Uh, he's second in minutes. He's third in goalie point shares, and he's first in games played. He played a ton, and he won a ton. It's not like he lost games. I mean, he did lose games, but he's not like he lost so many games. But it's just interesting. I did not know these things when I was doing this research i assumed i was it was going to be a little more clear cut for one direction um his 82 game average is 21 wins 16 losses uh six ties whatever but only one shutout per season and 6.8 goalie point shares per season which is uh if you know anything about point shares not great um now that's partly because he played on some not so good teams later on I mean, if it was just his Edmonton career we'd be talking about, I think that would be a lot higher. It was super hard to calculate his three-year peak because, like many of these players who played forever, we look at their their best seasons are spread out. And in Fear's case, his three best, his five best seasons are spread out of of course of the course of 17 years, almost his entire career. And a lot of that has to do with his 96 season, which is like one of his best seasons, but is like way later in his career surrounded by not good seasons. Like his, his 96 season was one of the best seasons of career, but his previous, his 95 season was bad and his 97 season was bad. So, um, we still did that (laughs) anyway, (laughs) is his, his three year peak from then because his, 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 uh, his 96 season was so good. Uh, His three year peak is 31 wins, 25 losses, 11, whatever's, uh, three shutouts per season, so better than his regular average. Uh, 257 GAA, which is a lot better, and an over 90% save percentage, which is, it's the dead puck era now, so it's not great, but it's way better than it was in the 80s. A playoff-wise, he's third all-time in wins, 12th all-time in losses, so that looks good. He has only six shutouts, though, in um, in 151 games, six shutouts. Uh, he has an 8.98 save percentage and a 2.92 GAA. So his his uh, save percentage and GAA went up in the playoffs, which is what you would hope for from a goalie, and it's not always true, right? Um, and he's uh, 12th all time in goal save, playoff goal saved above average. 
which is impressive. He's fourth all-time in minutes, and he's fourth all-time in games. Also, it's worth noting that the error adjustment makes him look better, as we would expect it to. So his uh, GAA drops almost uh, a third of a goal. Actually, does drop an entire third of a goal per game when you adjust for error, which is nice, down to three. And his save percentage goes up um, like a lot. Uh, it goes up like 28 point, no, 18 points. It goes up 18 points, which is, you know, so he's above a 90, 900 save percentage uh, if you adjust for error. That's still not anywhere near the best all time, but is a lot better than his numbers looked when you don't adjust for error. And for reasons that I think have to do with his personal life, but I could be wrong, um, or personal problems, rather, Fear got traded a, a lot. So we have a bunch of trades to talk about, um, including, like, in a in a brief span, particularly, of about four years, there were three big trades. Um, so the first is that he was traded in a in a veteran slash salary dump. Um, he was traded from Edmonton to Toronto with Glenn Anderson, which we talked about in the Glenn Anderson trade, and Craig Berube to, for Donfus, Peter Ng, Scott Thornton, and Luke Richardson, all of whom were 23 or younger. And everybody going to the Leafs was 25 or older. Craig Berube was far and away the youngest player. I think at the time when we talked about Glenn Anderson, we were sort of thinking this was had had the Oilers behaved well with the players they got back, this would have been a win for the Oilers. Does that sound right? That sounds about right. Yes. But then they went and traded Domfus like a year later. So then it was like, well, okay. Yeah. Why? Why the hell did you <laughs> give up so much for a franchise player, supposedly franchise player, and then get rid of him a year later? But anyway. Um. And then two years later, he was traded. Uh, with a uh, 1995 fifth-round pick to the Sabres for Dave Anderchuk, Darren Pupa, um, and a first-round pick that became Kenny Johnson. Uh, so that worked out for the Maple Leafs, um, and which in our blog on the best Leafs trades of all time, we ranked 21st. Um, so that uh, the Leafs uh, maybe gave up a lot to get Grant Fear and Craig Ander- uh, Glenn Anderson, rather, but they, uh, they got some stuff back. They did rather well in that haul. Um, I think. Um, I don't know if you disagree. I mean, no, I don't pre- disagree. Presumably, <laughs> presumably, if the Leafs draft somebody other than Kenny uh, Johnson, then the trade doesn't look quite as good because Dave Andrew was only on the Leafs for a couple of years, but um, like three years, I think, was it? I don't remember. Three or four, anyway. And then we have another trade two years later again. This time he was traded with uh, Philippe Boucher, who was really young. He was 31. Um, and uh, Denis Sigurov, who I feel like I sort of remember, but maybe don't, um, to the Kings for a very young Alexei Zhitnik, a Rob Stauber, Charlie Huddy, who was quite old by that point, and a 95 fifth-round pick. So I think that was probably the same 95 fifth-round pick, maybe. Um, no, no, it had to be a different one because it's going the other direction. Anyway, um, so three pretty big trades. Uh, the, the last one would be the least big, at least in terms of name players at the time, but Zitnik became a very important player for the Sabres. Um, and Boucher eventually became an important player for not the Kings, but the Stars, right? I think so. Um, and then lastly, he was traded at 37 for a third-round pick, so by that point, his value had sort of uh, decreased. But then, of course, he 
uh, oh yeah, that was it was traded to Calgary uh, for a third round pick. So that was after his final great season. So a bunch of different trades there. Yeah, um, he got moved around quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, he is the rare goalie to have a, a decent Hart Trophy finish. He finished top five in Hart voting uh, once in, uh, I think, actually, was it top three, was it? Um, it, was top, it was second in Hart voting uh, in 88 behind Gretzky. Um, he won the Vesna in 88 as well, and he also finished uh, top five in Vesna voting another four times, despite what you might call advanced stats, not agreeing with that very often. He, he was second in Vesna voting in his uh, rookie year, and then he was top three a couple times and top five one more time. So he, he had a lot of... When he was on the Oilers, he got a lot of uh, Vesna attention. Uh, he was top five in Calder voting. He won the Jennings in 94. Um, I think every time he won, he was nominated for the Vesna, it was the, it was the modern Vesna, because that happened in 81, I think, so... But yeah, he won the Jennings in, in 94 uh, with uh, Hashik and whoever else was on that Sabres team. Um, hockey, hockey reference uh, has him as a top five player in the league in 88 and a top 10 player in 96 when he he did his incredible, um, incredible thing, which we were going to get to at some point. Um, and... Uh, he was the best goalie in 98. So the, when he did win the Vesna, at least by point shares, which is a measure of value rather than like, you know, um, it, it measures your team's got to win in order to get point shares is what I'm trying to say. But at least by point shares, he was the the best goalie in the league when uh, he won the Vesna. Um, you, you could say that, you know, there's other metrics you should look at, like his goal save above average that year was not, it was, was two, which is not good. I mean, it's not bad, but it's not, it's not amazing, um, but by point shares anyway, he was the most important goalie in the league. Um, so, as Dave, uh, as Bill, uh, I don't know why I almost called you Dave, Bill. Um, <laughs> as uh, Bill has uh, pointed out a couple times on other episodes, um, at the age of 33, he did something absolutely incredible, which is he played 79 games for the St. Louis Blues which is uh, the most goalie games played in a single season by any NHL goalie ever. Yeah, he, um, he played 76 in a row, too. <laughs> which is just yeah. nuts. <laughs> yeah. And weirdly, he actually, he had, he hockey reference gives him more goalie point shares for that season than he did, did even when, and then he got even when he led the league in point shares in, in 88. It's just, I guess, some other goalie, um, like, had a had a I don't know a more valuable year for some reason that year. Uh, that it, it depends. You know, there's a it's a calculation including you know how many saves you make, how many goals you prevent, that kind of thing. Um. Anyway, I mean that's certainly a very remarkable thing. Uh. It and especially the fact that he was 33. Or 32 yeah, signed, 33. signed as a free agent too. Everybody yeah. thought he was. Everybody thought he was done, and he came back and did that. Yeah, it's quite something, and it's like nobody else has done this, and so that in and of itself is like it's you know it, it's something certainly to consider when thinking about whether or not he belongs um he also led the league in wins twice um weirdly he somehow led the league in shutouts once despite only having 20 something in his career but that was in that year that he won the Vesna. he had four so he had a he had a six of his shutouts in one season <laughs> man he had a really good year that year um it's funny because there are so many years. There are so many years in his career where he had zero in a single season, and then he has this four in one year. And um, 
He led the league well, that, in shots. That would have been that would have been the the eighty seven eighty eight season, right? Yes, yeah, that's the year he won the Vesna. Yeah, and and that was the year that uh, he was the starting goaltender for um, the eighty seven Canada Cup. Yes, yes, and it was. they they ended up winning that, and that Soviet team was pretty damn good too. And I think every game in that series, the three game series, that all the games finished six five. Yeah. And I mean that if you if you want a goalie to play in a six five game, he's probably the guy, right? He's used to those scores. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he's yeah, used to that run and gun style. So it, there's one thing you can say about him: he was not flapped or or disturbed by getting scored on, right? Like this is a guy who was very used to getting scored on. Um, so he he led the league in shots against twice, and he led the league in saves twice, which usually they correlate. Um. He did actually, in his rookie year, he led the league in goals saved above average. It was, in that by that stat, his best season, though, ever. And he never came close to it ever again. So that's very weird. I've not seen another goalie with a career like that since I've been aware of that stat. It's very, very strange. Um, and his final season was his worst season by that stat. So he, yeah. you could say, jokingly, you could say he, it went downhill from there. Um so, yeah, uh, he led the league in minutes once as well. He was a first-team All-Star once. Uh, obviously, the year he won the Vesna would be that year. He was a second-team once when he came in third for the Calder and second for the Vesna in his first season. Um, in his six All-Star game appearances, uh, first, uh, there's a people do calculate, somebody calculates, somebody on the internet calculates an adjusted peak, and his adjusted peak is a 9.13 save percentage, which is a lot better than the numbers we've been talking about. And there are things called gold versus average peak, which uh, says he he uh, saved 118 more goals than the average goaler, uh, goalie. And then there's a gold versus goals versus threshold peak, and I can't remember exactly how that's defined, but he saved 380 more goals than the average goalie by that calculation. Uh, he won some stuff. You may you may be. Uh, aware of um <laughs> he uh he was the starter and uh tied for playoff wins and led the playoffs in minutes um uh, and, and played every game on the 88 oilers so that 87 88 year bill was like the very like very close to like that was his like year when he was really really at his best um he led the playoffs in wins and minutes on on the 85 oilers but he didn't play every game and then he uh was a starter on 84 and 87 Oilers, and once again, didn't play every game. And also uh, the 91 Oilers, who only went to the conference finals. As Bill mentioned, he um, he was a tournament all-star on the uh, the Canada Cup winning uh, Canada team in 87. And he was also uh, the 1A on the one that won in 84 as well. He wasn't the starter, but he did play like three games, I think. And then he also... Um, won a silver at the World Championships in 89, I guess, because the Oilers got eliminated early. Yep, that would be uh, that would be the year the Flames won, so one of the few yeah. years that it was available. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I have no idea what to do here from a hawkish perspective. I have a different reason to have him in the Hall of Fame that has not a lot to do with his on-ice accomplishments. But before we get to that, I was really surprised to see how poorly he can paired to some of his uh contemporaries in like yeah, thing, sure. things that i care about like save percentage and goals against average 
the the way I'm figuring it, and you know, this is like I I don't you know I can't say I was watching hockey at the era, but um, you know, watching watching most like old Oilers games and old Oilers clips and stuff, it was they were so run and gun that like they had to have a guy back there who you know, would, would make saves he wasn't supposed to make and would get left alone quite a bit. And, you know, they'd give up odd man chances and stuff and just, just keep us in the game and we'll eventually score a bunch of goals. But like, you got to keep us in it kind of thing. So but my idea is he was just getting shelled with high quality chances. And unless you go back and watch the tapes, it's really hard to tell because they're like, we're just barely starting to keep track of, you know, high quality chances now. So yeah. to know like, you know, the type of the type of shots he's facing, I think we're probably very, like really high danger scoring chances way more. Um, and and so, so that because his reputation hasn't suffered, like I don't think yeah. the Oilers would, you know, it wasn't like they won in spite of Grant Fury. You know, there have been yeah. teams where you're like they won, in, you know, like the Red Wings often won in spite of Chris Osgood. You know, yeah. like just like ah, he's just good enough to get him across the finish line. Nobody's ever said I've never heard anybody say that about Grant Fury. It's always like, a, oh, yeah, man, he always made the big clutch save right when we needed him to so we could go down and score the game winner. And like, and Your point is very well taken because if you just go by shots against, he only led the league in shots against twice. And one of those times, he wasn't even on the Oilers. So, like, he wasn't getting shelled to the degree that I thought he was. You know, I was expecting yeah. him to see him, like, top five in shots against every season he was on the Oilers. Well, he was two seasons he was on the Oilers he was top five but the rest of the time he he was only top 10 four times when he was on the Oilers like he wasn't so the question is not so much whether he was getting shelled or not because he wasn't always it's more like you said Bill what what was the quality of those scoring chances because if they were all really great then he's really impressive but if only a few of them were really great then it's like why is this guy in the Hall of Fame and it's because he won cups yeah the the way I'm sort of figuring it is like you know the Oilers were a very offensive minded team. So like you get defensemen pinching a lot. And so there's yeah. a lot of like two on ones and three on ones and stuff. And he had to make those saves, you know, where it's yeah. like, it's, yeah. uh, so, but, but it's impossible to know without going back and watching, you know, 20, 30, 40 Oilers games. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me neither. Me neither. Yeah. If I win have, the lottery, we... I'll go back and do it. No problem. But... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, Given his rank, his probable rank in all-time wins when he retired, it's basically impossible to keep him out. But his underlying numbers are really sketchy, and it does one of two things. It either says he doesn't belong despite the four cups, or there are a whole bunch of goalies who are not in currently who should be, who have better like non-win numbers than Pierre does. And I'm not sure which of those things are. What I will say is that something that hockey has un- until very recently done a very poor job of is like, regardless of his, his actual stats, I think the man belongs in as a trailblazer, whatever you builder, whatever you want to call it for being up until that point. I think it's safe to say the greatest uh, African Canadian hockey player of all time, right? Pri- oh, yeah. Prior to Aginla. Um, I think it's, there's no doubt. I, I had, I looked at a brief list and like, he was, he's the only one who had any kind of NHL career. Like there were a few, there was like Willie O'Ree and a few other people before him, but their careers were not, you know, there was one guy, I think who had a, a long journeyman career. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. 
um the name is i i, I want to say it was like somebody like tony mckegney but i have no idea if that if he's actually black or not um so <laughs> i think I'm, i think he is yeah okay that, as uh, soon as you said his name i i seem to remember him in a nordique's uniform for whatever reason okay um but like he was not a star fear was a star and yeah it's funny because fear was a goalie and so nobody noticed i mean i i, I my girlfriend said to me not that long ago grant fear is black <laughs> i was like what <laughs> <laughs> yes what are you talking yeah. about yeah well, i can tell you uh, do not know this yeah yeah <laughs> I, I think i think i always knew that but <laughs> yeah I, I i don't remember not knowing it um about him but uh i think that like you know this is a sport that's been very exclusive to you know when, when based on like ethnicity um and there's all sorts of reasons for that that are not all deliberate by any means but i think that regardless of anything else fear is like a real trailblazer and uh you know open very slightly open the door but did open the door um i can't imagine because i'm a white guy uh i can't imagine what it would have been like to be like say jerome mcginla and i don't know if he said anything about this but to like be watching hockey what, and, uh... and to see like fear's mask come up and be like wait a minute yeah you know well, I mean, Aginla's uh, from Edmonton too, so I'm sure yeah. they, I'm sure he's on record as saying. He must, something. yeah. Uh, I should have looked that up before yeah. we did this, but uh, so <laughs> I, did, I. Uh, I did not. I didn't um, need to do that. No. Yeah, but I just I think that that's regardless of any particular feelings I have about his his stats, which I was really surprised at how not amazing they were. I think like it's very clear that he belongs for those reasons alone, let alone hockey reasons. Like yeah. to me, anyway. Yeah, well, you, you you have to assume like as a trailblazer, it's it's probably not probably not a whole bunch of publicized events, and he was so well loved in Edmonton that I'm I'm sure there weren't any, you know, he, when you're the hometown guy, you're not getting it, but I'm sure when you're yeah. on the road, there's stuff like that. And I know when he was in Buffalo, there was an incident with uh, not being admitted to a country club there, and oh really? A, I didn't a lot know of that. people believe that it was based on race. So, That's awful. Uh, yeah, and and, and I mean, we know are... stuff like this is still happening, right? The ah, the NHL absolutely. is struggling with it currently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. um so i mean what fear must had have had to go through in order to you know i mean i know he's he's had some alcohol problems and i think and, and maybe some other substances i don't know but like yeah yeah you gotta well, think he, he uh i was actually reading through a lot of his stuff and he, he had uh definitely not the only one but he had uh, he had a big problem with cocaine in the uh 90s and voluntarily went to rehab but when he got out of rehab uh got suspended by the league by uh, John Ziegler for uh, 59 games. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I did read that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he wasn't. Yeah. There was a season that he missed a ton of games. So it had nothing yeah. to do with it. That, I think that's more what ended his tenure in Edmonton than anything else. Yeah. Uh, you know, yes. You're right. You're right. In fact, I'm, I'm, I forgot. I read that and I didn't write it down because I'm an idiot. Um, yeah. Well, it's, but it's I mean, one of those things too. And it's like, like in those days, like, you know, uh, Tim Raines in Montreal for the Expos used to slide head first all the time because he didn't want to break the vials of cocaine in the back of his uniform. Like, Jesus. I mean, it's, it's not like, I'm sure, I'm sure, like, I think even today in the NHL, a lot of guys probably do this. It's it's an yeah. upper and they're, you know, they're, they're using the smelling salts on the bench and, you know, yeah. probably drink Red Bulls before the game and all that stuff. It's like, you want to get yourself up for the game, but it's like cocaine in the 80s was like, you know, you'd have you'd have a sugar bowl on the table and a cocaine bowl on the table. It was yeah. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the the old Wall Street movies, like Don't Lie. That's it was absolutely everywhere. It's crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. And they and had I the mean, money to get it. So. Yeah, absolutely. They did. Yeah, more so than the average person, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really torn about his hockey case. Um, but I think, you know, it, like he, he had some years that he was very good, but they're not yeah, that many of them. Su- surprisingly, I'm not, uh, I'm not torn about his hockey, even though the numbers I know are, are, you know, they, they, they don't look great. Um, to, to me, it's, to me, it's more of a style of play thing yeah. and it's, I've got to figure with him, you know, being the starting goalie for Team Canada in 87 with, you know, him, you know, setting that record when he was in St. Louis um, and, you know, until Nick Kiprios cheap shot at him and blew out his knee, looked like St. Louis might go and win the Stanley Cup. They looked amazing. And they just gotten Gretzky. And it was like, you know, he was just he had too many years where he looked like a top goaltender and his reputation was so strong from you know, hockey writers from players who played with him from opponents of like just saying how great he was. And it's like the numbers might just be a symptom of the era in which he played. And those numbers being exacerbated by the fact that the Oilers were just pure run and gun all the time. Like, no, that's, uh, that's a really valid point. And I have, I have no idea because the thing is about the adjustment for era, whether it's a goalie or a skater, it's, it's a calculation. It takes nothing else into account. That's it. No, yeah, it's, it's, no other context, and you can't me, like, take it completely like seriously. Yeah, well, it's it, it, like I'll 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 do something that you usually do and bring in a basketball comparison here. If you go and look at those great Phoenix Suns teams where Steve Nash was winning the MVP, and you look at how many points they gave up, you'd be like, what the hell? Like, how can yeah, these yeah. guys be considered a great team? But like, yeah, they're trying to score 140 points a night. They just want to outscore you. They're daring yeah. you to try to play their game. Like, we yeah. dare you to try to do this with us. Yeah. Like, no, we might that's score a... 120, but we're going to score 140. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a good point, actually, because that is that is actually a very good comparison to, like, 80s hockey. Um, it's all about outscoring. It's not about preventing scoring. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm... And I'm not going to like demand he doesn't belong. Um, <laughs> it, like they revoke it, especially because he's still alive. But like, um, I do think it's, I just didn't realize how like mediocre some of his numbers were um, because yeah. he's, he's a, he's very famous and he has that reputation as being like a big, at least for me growing up, not really knowing much about him. He had a reputation as like, cause you know, I, I, it was, I was a Leafs fan. I paid no attention to the, Oilers at the time. Uh, it wasn't until the mid to late nineties that I paid attention to the Oilers. Um, he had this reputation as being like, like a sort of a big save goalie, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, as opposed yeah. to uh, a consistent, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I still think, regardless of my hockey ambivalence, I think that like he's he has a very important role in the history of the game and that one that isn't maybe as acknowledged as it should be, you know, I, I, I would agree with that. I really think he should get more recognition for, for what he did. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's pretty impressive given that no one had really, I mean, there were so few black NHLers before him. So few. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know a lot of people who think it's again, is like that guy, <laughs> not fair, yeah. which is, weird to me but well it's just uh, i I think we've been more aware of it in this time right so well also forward easier to see his face i guess but uh and and also he was playing at a time with the internet um yeah 
which fear was mostly not so much. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else to say about either of these guys? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just uh, that you know, they were both. Uh, I, I I feel both of them. Obviously, fear not underrated. Um, maybe maybe what he what he did uh, for for you know the future of black hockey players. Maybe uh, actually pretty conceivably quite underrated as the yeah. as the trailblazing that he did. And I'm I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, but for Lafontaine, I, I I feel like he's really underrated as to how good of a player he really was. Um, I, I I don't think yeah. his his other than the point per game stat, which sort of like really shows off how great he was. Like you have to go back and watch tape, and I'm sure it's the same thing with here too. You have to go back and watch him play yeah. and be like, holy crap, that guy was good. Um, yeah, and I should probably I, do that. I'm I'm a big fan of both of them, and I think if you go back and just watch a highlight tape of them, you'll you'll immediately be like, holy crap, like that's. He was doing some special stuff out there, even if the stats don't always make them look as good as they really were. Cool. Um, and that's a that's an interesting and positive place to end it because, of course, next episode um, we will have a very controversial group of inductees. Uh, so take that as a uh, I don't know a teaser for for the next episode. And uh, that's so that's all for us for this episode. And uh, we hope to uh, see you next time. Hope you enjoyed it. Take care.